In my view, as good as the Yankees were in the first half of this game, that's how as bad they've been now. Good morning and welcome to episode 169 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Ben Lindbergh. Joining me, no crickets tonight, is Sam Miller. Hello, Sam. Hi, Ben. How are you? Okay. Uh, we each have a topic, or we we cooperatively came up with two topics today that we weren't sure would stand on their own, but we're going to talk about both of them together, and that will constitute an episode of our podcast. Um, which should we talk about first? Um, hmm. I guess let's talk about McCarver. Okay. So uh, the news yesterday was that Tim McCarver is is leaving Fox or, or retiring, I guess, after the season. Uh, it is his 55th season doing something in baseball. He is stepping down uh, to just have more time to do things that aren't calling baseball games. Um, and... I kind of intentionally avoided the reaction to the news. I don't know whether you saw a lot of reaction to the news. I, I assume there was quite a bit of snark. Uh, I didn't see much. Yeah, I wasn't uh, I wasn't around all that much today. Yeah. Uh, I also assume there was a lot of snark because mm-hmm. I was alive when Joe Morgan left. <laughs> right. Um, so what is what was your reaction? Anything? Um, yeah, well, I don't know. I mean... Um, I think it's good. Um, I don't know that the, uh, that the problems that are kind of inherent in national broadcasting, uh, necessarily are going to retire with him. It's a lot easier to hire somebody that we all collectively won't like. Really? You do not think that, that Tim McCarver's replacement is going to be a sabermetrician? I, I, you know, I, That is a controversial stance. I don't know who they'll who they'll get. I mean, there are certainly people that they could hire who um, would, I think, be great um, in the same way that I think generally Oral Hershiser has, um, I think Oral Hershiser generally has widespread support among uh, the internet set. Do you think that's right? Uh, yeah, I guess so, or at least no, yeah. no real enmity. I mean, the tricky thing is that it, it is, um, it's, uh, not necessarily about the man they hire. It's really about um, the audience that these big broadcasts want to get. Yeah. And I kind of feel um, I feel a little bit conflicted about McCarver because on the one hand, um, I found him to be not very good um, at calling baseball games for the last 15 or 10 years or so. Um, and very rarely did I feel like he taught me anything, um, but I bet he could teach me a lot. I mean, I'm I'm quite certain that he knows a lot about baseball. He knows way more than we do. Mm-hmm. And the weird thing is that uh, the incentives apparently just aren't there for him to tell us those things, uh, that if he started talking uh, about things that would appeal to you and I, I guess the idea is that he would lose the uh, large majority of uh, viewers, and I'm not talking about like sabermetric stuff. I'm talking about deep baseball stuff, the sort of stuff that if you and I, or sorry, if you and he were, you know, on a dugout bench watching batting practice, that you might pick his brain and try to get him to talk about. I think part of the problem also is that, um, you know, he just did it for so long, and I don't remember him being bad until, I don't know, maybe the turn of the century, but it's hard to say new things. 
repeatedly. Yeah. And he probably thought around like 1996, he probably thought, well, geez, I've said all the things I know. <laughs> That's and how so, we felt after our first podcast episode. Yeah. I mean, certainly by like our fourth or fifth. Yeah, And we've we done did. like 160 since then. So there's a, there's a kind of, I don't know. I think that there's probably good reason to change these guys up a lot. Um, I don't know that it's a young man's game so much as it's a fresh voice a fresh voices game. I remember thinking in the nineties, I remember loving Joe Morgan. I thought he was you know, the, the best and granted I was a kid and I didn't know a whole lot right. and maybe it was my problem. Um, I also thought Ron Fairley was pretty good. And when he was doing giants games and the other day I listened to Ron Fairley, uh, do a Mariners radio game and he's the worst announcer I've ever heard in my life, uh, by quite a bit. And so, uh, again, my memories as a kid are not great, but I was a teenager for Joe Morgan's first few years, and I remember him teaching me a lot, like nine ways to score from third with two outs, <laughs> uh, which was one of his regular bits. And by the third time you hear that bit, you're bored of it, he's bored of it, and he uh, starts to sound like um, you know, kind of an old cliche of himself. So yeah. It's, it, it's probably a good idea to have a new guy every few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's hard to say because, as I think we've probably talked about on the podcast before, if you talk to people who uh, listened to McCarver when he first started doing this, they will rave about how perceptive he was and how he always seemed to predict everything that was going to happen and he would predict uh, strategic moves and, and pitch calls with just astonishing accuracy and it's uh, it's kind of hard to square with with the current McCarver. Um, I think I remember Stephen Goldman first telling me how impressed he was by McCarver when McCarver started. And I mean, when McCarver started at Fox, uh, I was maybe nine years old. Uh, so the things that would bother me when he says them today, if he'd said exactly the same thing then, would not have bothered me. Um, so I don't know whether it's that he has lost his fastball, as I have read uh, a couple people say, or whether it's, I don't know, that we have we have learned more, possibly. I mean, we we hear, we read so much more about baseball. We, we watch so many more baseball games now and are exposed to so many more announcers um, that it's it's hard to say. I wonder whether he is actually worse or whether the people who remember him so fondly uh, do so because they didn't know quite as much as they do now when they first started hearing him. And as you say, maybe he's recycling his material, which is inevitable when you have to talk about baseball for three hours, however many times a a year that he does that. Um, So it's hard to say, but I guess... uh, I would be surprised if the if the replacement for Tim McCarver is uh, is much more beloved by the internet than he has been lately. Yeah, well, um, I mean, I think like certainly if they got David Cohn in there, everybody would rejoice. Um, right. But like, I think Ron Darling does a great job, mm-hmm. and I think Dennis Eckersley does a great job when he gets a chance. And I think that uh, I remember Al Leiter being very good. Although I might be remembering wrong, it's yeah, uh, it's interesting. It's all catchers basically who are managers, um, right? But I think that maybe pitchers are the most um, interesting broadcasters. There, there's just something about maybe being a pitcher um, that 
feels like you have it seems like pitchers have knowledge that other people don't have mm-hmm. um, more than you know second basemen ever do right. I mean certainly there are you can be a good broadcaster and a second baseman um, but there's just something about a pitcher I think that maybe it's the fact that you're sitting there five days four days out of five mm-hmm. watching that you're charting pitches that you I mean it, you really have to, I think as a I pitcher mean, you have to pitching is the most interesting thing about baseball probably you would think though that a catcher would have some of the same insights yeah. though mm-hmm. um but maybe it's the fact that a pitcher has to um i mean a pitcher really has to reinvent himself many times over his career uh in a way that position players really don't a position player gets you know stronger and then he gets weaker and that's basically the whole story uh, whereas a pitcher uh you know, a pitcher doesn't. When a pitcher comes up at 24, he doesn't resemble the guy who got drafted a lot of the time, and that's just 24. Uh, by the time he's 38, he's usually gone through two or three or four of those, and so maybe that's why pitchers are so insightful. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's po- totally possible that they could hire somebody good without, um, you know, without breaking the mold all that much. It's just. How long can we stand that guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna miss McCarver probably just because he gave us so much material. Uh, I mean, even if you weren't mocking something he said, you could get a post out of something he said. Basically, every game, just kind of listening him to him repeat some uh, maxim that maybe is not true or is not backed up by the stats, and you could look at the stats and see whether it confirmed or rejected what McCarver said. And either way, you had something to write about. So I will kind of miss that if there is someone who comes on and makes statements that are only backed up by data. Then we have nothing Uh, to talk about. I kind of, to be honest, I kind of got sick of of picking on him. Mm -hmm. Um, And partly that's because when I started picking on him, um, you know, it was to a much smaller audience. Mm -hmm. And the bigger your audience gets, the kind of more aware you are of what a jerk you are. Um, so it, um, I mean, I, I, I still will point out broadcaster sort of lunacy, but I find that I very rarely even attach a name to it. It's almost Mm -hmm. like I'm subtweeting, um, (laughs) the guy, uh, which is slightly less jerky. Um, but I mean, I think McCarver, I think that the, that the peak of McCarver, uh, ripping, was probably like 2009 and it's been a little bit um diminishing returns ever since then Mm -hmm. it's it will be nice that they if they if they're intent on hiring somebody who sucks which they might be um it will be a welcome new person who sucks like it would be i mean if they're gonna hire someone terrible and they hire kevin millar um or something like that (laughs) it would be a fun three or four years uh before we got sick not of him but sick of making fun of him which is weird to say but we will get sick of the people we're sick of for being sick of them uh mark langston by the way does angels games Mm -hmm. also uh he last year was his first year also very good and also a pitcher Mm. well broadcasting is hard we can't talk for 15 minutes a day without saying something stupid or repeating ourselves we can't it's uh but on the other hand it's i've heard it said you know, many times about how hard it is. And occasionally some smart writer will be behind the the microphone for like a minor league game Mm -hmm. for, you know, an inning. And then he'll talk about how impossible it is. Now he went blank and he couldn't keep track of the field. And, but I mean, I do wonder if it's really hard 
once you have some experience because the people who do it, they don't do it well <laughs> a lot of times. Um, but it doesn't seem like there's a real high bar to clear to do it. I, I mean, I, I, I don't want to, uh, I think play by play is probably pretty hard. And I think that being a, a very good broadcaster is probably really hard. I'm just not ready to concede that the job itself is hard once you've done it. It might be simply that once you've done it for a few weeks, it's actually not that hard. I'm, I'm not saying it is. I'm just, I'm just not willing to concede that it is. I hope that you can get a chance to call some Angels games this year. I would. Uh, I think it'd be fun to do us like a season. I, I would. Uh, I've thought occasionally about, you know, second career and <laughs> trying to go find a minor league club somewhere. You know, high A club that would let me do it. Hmm. I mean, not let me do it. I'd have to go get an education. But uh, I think it'd be a lot of fun. Hmm. Well, I hope that happens someday. I really like. The broadcasters I like, I really like. I mean, I have a relationship with them that um, is like probably second only to like the musicians that you have a relation, an imaginary relationship with musicians when you're like a teenager. Um, I listen to them say thousands of words every day for six months, and I really like them a lot. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of them I like. I like a lot now these days. Yeah. Mo- mostly play-by-play guys. I like a lot of play-by-play guys. Okay. All right. All right. That is one topic. Uh, the only, the other thing that we wanted to address, uh, Bob Nightingale wrote a story for USA Today, and it is about the fact that there is not much beer in clubhouses anymore, uh, partially because of all the DUIs that have kind of uh, been a problem for, for baseball, uh, and just partially because when you think about it, it's kind of weird for a company to provide beer for its employees, possibly, when Super weird. <laughs> when those employees are elite athletes uh, and have to be in excellent shape and train and go to sleep after games so they can be awake for the next game. So there are many reasons why that probably makes sense, and we could talk about that, but I wanted to talk about something that isn't really the the main thrust of the story, but was was the most interesting part of it to me, um, is that there was kind of a, a theme in the comments of the players who were quoted in the article, talking about how clubhouses are just sort of uh, less colorful and just less crowded these days. That that clubhouses are just sort of empty now for various reasons. Uh, Eric Chavez says social media changed everything. The trust factor went away, uh, and that and Nightingale sort of says that that the lack of technology was something that used to keep teams together, or that the omnipresence of technology today is something that keeps them apart. Uh, and then just the fact that you know, and he tells anecdotes about uh, various players kind of holding court after games while the whole team drank beer and various other bonding activities and. I don't know that that's something every team did with with regularity, but uh, as Nightingale says, these days the clubhouse often is a ghost town by 11 p.m. Scott Proctor is quoted as saying, nobody hangs out anymore. You used to sit down and have beers in the clubhouse, and it's not even part of the game anymore. That's what I miss. Uh, And so it's kind of interesting to think about whether clubhouse chemistry means as much to teams as it used to. It's kind of hard to read about how 
uh, players are always suspicious because of social media and there aren't a lot of activities that bring a lot of them together. They all make so much money that they travel places by themselves and are kind of in their own little cocoons away from the ballpark a lot of times. Um, obviously, there are exceptions to this and maybe young players spend more time together and and uh, I mean, certain players are, are friends and do things together and you still hear players talk about the importance of clubhouse chemistry, but it's kind of hard to imagine that it could have the same impact today in this world where the clubhouse is empty at 11 p.m. as it once might have. Uh, does that seem fair to you? Um, I uh you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to be able to say definitively, but my guess is that um, the extra hour that you might spend in the clubhouse might be important bonding time and all that, but um, it's a small portion of time considering how much they're actually together. Um, they still arrive four and a half hours before the game. Uh, they have an hour and a half where the media is allowed there and then they do batting practice, but then they're, they're in the clubhouse for two and a half hours alone. Uh, before the game, they play the game, they travel together, they fly all over the place together. Um, you know, the they play words with friends together and they text each other when they're not there. And uh, it seems to me that, um, I mean, when you talk about clubhouse chemistry, uh, the clubhouse is kind of just a metaphor in this case. I mean, the, the chemistry is really supposed to be on the field and it's sort of, in the larger sense, it's not actually restricted to the clubhouse. And I would guess that a lot of chemistry still happens or still doesn't happen, but never happened because guys just didn't like each other for whatever reason, even in the 70s and 80s when they were drinking beer and doing cocaine well into the evening. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, I don't know. In my experience during the time that, say, the media is allowed into a clubhouse, there is some interaction among players and there's there's laughing and there's talking and there's joking, but... Uh, I mean, most players just sort of sit by themselves at their locker and hope that no one comes to talk to them. Uh, yeah, but they're yeah they're worried about uh, you know media talking right. to them, not not right. each other. So I I wonder whether sitting and having long in depth conversations over a beer while the media is around because yeah. wouldn't want that to happen. Yeah, I think that it's conceivable that the that the media, which is not named in Bob Nightingale's piece, but I, I don't know this. Again, I have not been around very long, but it it wouldn't surprise. I mean, it does feel like the media has a chilling effect on everything. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, one reason that guys leave, maybe the most important reason that guys leave is because they just don't want to sit around and talk to us. Right. Uh, and so like in Mike Sosha's clubhouse, um, the clubhouse usually opens about 10 minutes later than other teams' clubhouses open. And um you can see players sort of racing to get out before any of us get in there. And, as would uh, I if I were in their place, because we as would I too. Probably I mean, annoying. He, right when he when who was it Beckett or was it? I think it was Beckett who who also talked about the the you know the sort of lack of trust factor because of like the the you know the sort of uh, controversial stories that come out of clubhouses. Mm -hmm. I would think that they mostly blame the media for that stuff, and that basically there's just an idea that the media is going to um you know run with things a lot more quickly than they ever would have before and so maybe there's just maybe nobody's comfortable maybe everybody's a little bit tenser for that reason it wouldn't surprise me at all yeah so i don't know it, i mean a baseball team is never going to be 
uh, like your typical office where you go in in the morning and sit in your cubicle all day and maybe say hello to someone at the water cooler and then you leave at five and, and maybe you get drinks after work, but maybe you don't. Um, there's always going to be certain factors that are bringing teams together because they are traveling all over the place, even though they probably have their own room and might not have to have a roommate and uh, might take separate transportation to the games or something. Um, I think there's there's probably less less communal uh, traveling going on than than there used to be, but there's still a certain amount that really you can't get away from. But I do wonder if a team with bad chemistry or or just without the potential for good chemistry um, can kind of weather that more easily than maybe one day uh, or than it than it would have at some point in the past when people actually had to spend more time together and talk. And if they didn't enjoy each other's company, then possibly that could have been more of a problem than it would be now. Mm-hmm. All right. We did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will be back with one more episode tomorrow, Friday. Uh, if you're listening on Friday uh, or, or on Friday, everything will be free at BP also on Monday. So make sure to come and read everything while you can. Uh, and send us emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com so we can answer them next week.